0: Houston, this is Houston. We have a problem.
1: Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. During the dark days after Pearl Harbor, as the Japanese advanced unchecked through the Pacific, the cruiser USS Houston fought bravely against the unstoppable tide. Though her fate was sealed, she fought to the very end, sinking with her guns still firing. But the sacrifice of her crew inspired the nation. This week we talk about the USS Houston, the galloping ghost of the Java coast. But first, who's your favorite Texas naval hero?
0: Well, I don't know that he's an actual hero in the way we would define certain heroes, but uh, I'm kind of partial to Commodore Edwin Moore, who uh, was a commander, uh, a leader in the Texas Navy, and uh, he was responsible for capturing Cozumel in aid of the Yucatan Revolution in Mexico. Uh, We talked about his little adventure in uh, our uh, previous episode about the Texas Navy. Yeah, great episode.
2: I think you mean his great adventure. Well, it was a great adventure. It's a yes. singular adventure. It is why we as Texans can go to Cozumel and not have to show our passports.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to highlight uh, a guy we haven't talked about yet, uh, Commander Samuel David Dealey. Uh, now, he was a submariner from World War II. He was captain of the ship, and uh, he sank five japanese destroyers in a single engagement with short-range torpedoes and it was actually a a pretty heated battle a lot of uh depth charges and crash dives and uh, the ship you know it was, it was one of those really intense kind of uh, you read the recap and it sounds like a, an intense uh, naval movie but uh mm-hmm. he survived so commander Dealy is from dallas so he is a texan and he is a texan congressional medal of honor recipient so we salute you
2: Well, uh, my favorite Texas naval hero is Dory Miller of Waco, Texas. He was an African-American mess attendant, and he manned an anti-aircraft gun during the Pearl Harbor attack on the USS West Virginia and shot down a Japanese plane. He won the Navy Cross, and he actually could have stayed in the United States raising war bonds, but he volunteered to return to the war zone uh, on board an aircraft carrier and was killed in action um, when his ship was sunk. Uh, So uh, he faced a discrimination and uh, uh, as an African-American in that time, but he rose above that and was actually considered one of America's first war heroes of World War II. And he was played by Cuba Gooding Jr. in the movie Pearl Harbor, which I like that movie. I think it's a not bad movie.
1: Mm. You know, you might want to keep some of these thoughts you have to yourself. <laughs> these microphones record <laughs> the words you say, and we transmit <laughs> them to the world. <laughs> Michael
2: Bay... That movie had sufficient boom for me.
1: The cruiser USS Houston, hull number CA-30, was built in 1929 in Newport News, Virginia. She was the fifth ship of the Northampton class of heavy cruisers. Houston was a fast, well-armed ship able to make over 32 knots and carried nine 8-inch guns. She was modestly armored, being designed to combat other cruisers and act as a scout for the fleet. She was commissioned in June of 1930 and was sponsored at her launch by Elizabeth Holcomb, daughter of the then-mayor of Houston. For the decade before
2: World War II, the Houston alternated between the Atlantic Fleet, which was based on the east coast of the U.S., the Pacific Fleet, which was based in Hawaii, and the Asiatic Fleet, which was based in the Philippines. In 1931, she landed Marines in China to protect American interests in Shanghai when war broke out between Japan and China. She participated in training exercises off the West Coast as well as in the Caribbean. She also had a reputation as one of the favorite ships of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. On three occasions, in 1934, 1935, and 1938, Houston carried the president on extended cruises and fleet reviews. In 1939, she served as the flagship for the president and the chief of naval operations, William Leahy, during the annual fleet exercises in the Caribbean. In November 1940, With a well-won reputation for being an excellent ship with an excellent crew, Houston returned to the Philippines to serve as flagship of the Asiatic fleet under Admiral Thomas Hart. After the attack on Pearl
0: Harbor and the surprise strikes on the Philippines destroyed American air defenses, the naval base in Manila became untenable for the larger ships of the Asiatic fleet. The Houston was ordered to Darwin, Australia to link up with British and Australian naval units assembling there. In early 1942, as the Japanese were rolling through British, American, and Dutch colonies in the South Pacific, this force became the American-British-Dutch-Australian Command. The task of the ABDA fleet was to defend the Malay Barrier, which is today what we would call Malaysia and Indonesia. It was a small fleet consisting of three Dutch, two American, one British, and one Australian cruiser, an assortment of mostly old destroyers, and a decent force of American submarines. The old American carrier Langley, serving as an aircraft transport, had been sunk in early 1942, carrying badly needed fighters, so there was little air support for the fleet. The American submarines were also afflicted by defective torpedoes, a problem that the Americans didn't solve until
1: 1944. They faced the finest and most powerful combined fleet in the world at the time. Japanese cruisers were better armed and armored than Allied ships, they were faster, and they could cruise longer. During the day, their carriers and land-based aircraft dominated the seas and at night, the Japanese fleet was almost unbeatable. Cruisers, destroyers, and submarines also carried the advanced long-lance torpedoes, which far outranged any things the Allies had, and they were deadly accurate. They also had a huge numerical superiority over the Allies. Despite the odds, though, the ABDA Naval Striking Force,
2: under Dutch Admiral Carol Dorman, was committed to doing its best to slow the Japanese advance down and USS Houston was right in the thick of the action. On February 4, 1942, four cruisers, the Dutch cruisers De Reuter and Tromp, and the American cruisers Houston and Marblehead, along with seven destroyers, attempted to stop the Japanese landing on the Dutch Indies island of Makassar. They were attacked by several waves of Japanese bombers, with Marblehead and Houston taking the brunt of the attacks. Marblehead was nearly sunk, but she managed to limp to safety. She returned to the U.S. and survived the war. Houston had her rear gun turret knocked out with nearly 50 men killed. The Japanese claimed that they
0: sank both Houston and Marblehead, but while Marblehead was knocked out of action, Houston returned to the fight. Her commander, Captain Albert Rooks, was given the opportunity to withdraw the weakened Houston, which could no longer use its rear guns, but he chose to stay rather than further deplete the ABDA force. On February 15th, Houston escorted a small convoy of transport sent to reinforce the island of Timor. The Japanese attacked the convoy, but the air attack was beaten off. Japanese propaganda again claimed to have sunk Houston, but she showed up in Darwin undamaged and unsunk. By this time, Houston had earned the nickname the Galloping Ghost of the Java Coast.
1: Sadly, Houston's luck would soon run out. On February 27, 1942, Dorman's entire force sailed out to meet the large invasion fleet that was headed to the island of Java. Dorman's orders were to stop the invasion at all costs. He had two heavy cruisers, three light cruisers, and nine destroyers to face a slightly larger Japanese fleet in what would become known as the Battle of the Java Sea. Over a seven-hour period, Dorman's force tried repeatedly to reach the Japanese transports, but suffered terrible damage with each attack. The Japanese fleet, however, took almost no damage during the fight. Late at night on the 27th, Dorman ordered Houston and the Australian cruiser Perth to retire from the battle, and he led the remnants of his Dutch forces in one last attack on the Japanese. Dorman's flagship De Ruyter and the Dutch cruiser Java both were destroyed, and the Admiral went down with his ship. The next night, February 28th, Houston
2: and Perth tried to escape into the Indian Ocean through Sunda Strait, which is between Java and Sumatra. They were intercepted by a huge force of two carriers, five cruisers, 12 destroyers, and they were all escorting another invasion fleet. In the confusing night action, Houston and Perth battled ferociously to escape their trap. They managed to sink two transports while three more Japanese transports were sunk by friendly fire. They also damaged a cruiser and two destroyers. In the end, though, it wasn't enough. Perth sank first, and then Houston was alone. She fought on until after midnight before she was finally overwhelmed by torpedoes and gunfire. Captain Rooks was killed when a shell exploded on the bridge. And in the end, 696 men of Houston's crew went down with her. Over 300 survivors were picked up and taken to prison camps, mostly in Thailand and Indochina.
0: The battles of Java Sea and Sunda Strait were disastrous for the Allies, but they bought time for the war effort to get mobilized. In the United States, the grief at the loss of Houston was enormous. In May of 1942, the Navy held a drive for volunteers to replace the men lost on Houston. It culminated in the acceptance of 1,650 men for service, who became known as the Houston Volunteers Group. At the same time, war bond subscriptions totaling $85 million were raised to completely pay for another ship named for the city, with enough left over to pay for an aircraft carrier, which would be named San Jacinto.
1: At 6 p.m. on Memorial Day, May 30th, 1942, a mass rally and induction ceremony took place in Houston, and the Houston Volunteers paraded with several hundred Navy officers and men through downtown, and they were accompanied by four bands. 48 bombers based at nearby Ellington Field overflew the festivities.
2: After the parade, which was witnessed by between 150 and 200,000 people, the volunteers lined up on Main Street and rose 16 abreast and were administered the Navy oath by Rear Admiral William A. Glassford. Glassford had served in the the ABDA command. He then gave a speech describing Houston's final battle. A message from President Franklin Roosevelt, who had such fond memories of the valiant ship, was read by the mayor of Houston, Neil Pickett. No one of us doubts that the thousand naval recruits sworn in today will carry on with the same spirit shown by the gallant men who have gone before them. No one of us doubts that every true Texan and every true American will back up these new fighting men with all of our hearts and all of our efforts.
0: One young man, Robert E. Bradley, was 16 and too young to enlist, but was nonetheless still allowed to participate because his older brother Leonard was lost when the Houston went down. He was sworn in on the troop train three days later when he turned 17 by the same officer who had sworn in his older brother two years before. On the 3rd of August 1942, the keel for Liberty ship SS Houston Volunteers, named in honor of the group of volunteers, was laid at the Todd Houston Shipyard. SS Houston Volunteers was delivered on 28th of October 1942 and served in the Mediterranean during the war.
1: The U.S. Navy would not go long without a USS Houston in the fight either. In October 1942, the Navy renamed one of the new Cleveland-class cruisers after the Fallen Ghost paid for by the war bonds raised during the Houston Volunteer Drive. In June 1943, just over a year after her namesake was reported lost, the USS Houston CL-81 was launched. She spent the winter fitting out, and early spring conducted her shakedown cruise before heading to the Pacific in April of 1944. As part of the fast
2: carrier task force, she participated in the invasion of the Marianas and in Palau, including shooting down several Japanese aircraft during the Battle of the Philippine Sea. This was also known as the Great Marianas Turkey Shoot. In October 1944, during strikes on Japanese air bases in Formosa in the lead up to the invasion of the Philippines, Houston and the heavy cruiser Canberra were both badly damaged by Japanese torpedo strikes. Two days later, while both tr- Two days later, while both ships were under tow back to base, Houston was heavily attacked again by Japanese airstrikes. It was only through the heroic effort of her crew that the ship was not sunk. She was hastily repaired at both the American Forward Base and then again at Pearl Harbor, but it took nearly a year for her to finally return to active service, by which point the war was over. She served for a few more years and was decommissioned in 1947 and scrapped in 1959. The most recent ship to bear the name
0: USS Houston was a Los Angeles-class nuclear attack submarine commissioned in 1982. The Houston served for over 30 years and, ironically, was the actual ship used to play her sister, the USS Dallas, in the classic film The Hunt for Red October. Houston has served proudly throughout the world and was just decommissioned earlier this year on August 26, 2016. Well, that's a
1: great name for a ship.
0: Yeah, I have to say the only fact that I actually knew about the USS Houston was the fact about the submarine and its use in the hunt for Red October. <laughs> so reading the rest of the story of the wonderful um, historical name of USS Houston was uh, fascinating to me. I, I, it's, it's a pretty neat story.
2: Yeah. So I first heard about Houston uh, way back when I probably first visited the battleship Texas, and they have— In one of the rooms, uh, it's actually kind of a break room uh, where they have soda machines set up and everything. But they also have, against the wall, they have a model of the USS Houston, the the one that was sunk at the Battle of Java Sea, and a plaque um, dedicated by the Houston volunteers and the survivors of the USS Houston. And uh, they have a plaque, and they have just a display about the Houston. So that was where I first learned about it, and probably also in reading World War II books. So I kind of knew about Houston, but... Um, you know, the fascinating name of the Galloping Ghost of the Java Coast is just such a great alliterative name. Yeah, I love that nickname.
0: Yeah. Galloping Ghost of the Java Coast.
2: Yeah, and and it's real interesting when you also read about its pre-war life as basically one of Roosevelt's favorite yachts. You know, he would go on these—he lo, he loved the sea, and he loved to go on trips, and he'd go on these extended trips on Navy ships all
1: over the world. Uh, while he was sitting president, so right. Well, we talked about that as a as a future episode sometime to talk about uh, his big fishing right. expedition in in Texas, right? He right. Was so out he would, the sea.
2: yeah, he he loved it, and he would get on these cruisers, and then, and they would just haul him around. And the one cruise, I mean, they literally went from the you know Virginia down to Florida, down to the, through the Caribbean, the Panama Canal, out to Hawaii, back up to Alaska, and then back down to San Francisco. So they they went everywhere. Back to the nickname, the the galloping ghost of the the Java coast.
0: I can hear that in my head being said over a newsreel, yeah. you know.
2: Well, I think the, the galloping the galloping ghost of the Java coast.
1: Well, I yeah. find Sixth this whole story Japanese. interesting. I mean, the the whole first part of it, just like the 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 intense battle, um, how they became you know sort of isolated and then fought it out, and uh, you know, and even though she went down, it you know, she. Took quite a few ships with her when she did. Like it was, it's a pretty remarkable naval battle from um, from that sort of, of view. And yeah. I think we we think you know think back on um, on World War Two. You know, we're taught a lot about the end of World War Two, and not probably not as much uh, do we focus on just how badly it was going in the beginning.
2: Yeah, it was really bad. We were losing. Um, Rooks had the chance to leave. He actually was awarded. The Medal of Honor, uh, posthumously, for staying in the fight, for not withdrawing his ship, even though the Houston really was not as combat effective as it as it could have been, um, because it you know part of its armament was completely useless. Another interesting thing is if you've watched the movie The Bridge Over the River Kwai, um, the William Holden character, who is an American who's, who escapes from this prison camp in Thailand, he says that he he was on the Houston when it went down at the, at the at the Java Sea,
1: wow. um,
2: yeah, and so that character—that's where most of the surviving uh, men who were picked up went to. Was basically they worked on that that Burma-Thailand uh, railroad, um, and uh, the true story and the full story of what happened actually didn't get learned until those men were liberated from those camps. That's what's remarkable is that it spent it was nine months before anybody really truly knew what had happened. Um, they just knew the Houston was lost. Uh, and then they they then they then found out through intercepts of Japanese transmissions that they had sunk a ship. Uh, and then finally, they get the full story of what happened to Rooks and what happened to everybody. So it's a pretty fascinating story. The other thing I find interesting is that they raised enough money to pay not only for a new cruiser, but also another aircraft carrier. Um, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> and that aircraft carrier was the San Jacinto, and that was the aircraft carrier... Uh, that President George H. W. Bush served on. Huh. How about so that? So a lot of neat, yeah, a lot of neat connections in wow. this in this story.
1: Well, so today, so now today, there's no longer a USS Houston in the Navy, correct? Correct. It is now
2: decommissioned. I guess, presume it's in reserve because it hasn't been scrapped yet.
1: But right. Yeah. I guess I'm more wondering is is like you know we could name another ship the Houston, like we're building new Navy ships. Right, it's it a fine pro- name.
2: <laughs> um, actually, currently, you amphibious transport ships are named after cities at this point in the U.S. Navy.
1: Huh. Interesting. So, I guess we should. Who do we need to write? our congressman or <laughs> we need a uss houston there's only it been like to be a 22... combat ship. <laughs> only been like yeah. 22 ships named the houston sure you could name it after the city but then we could also have a uss sam houston which could probably since it's named after a person could be like a destroyer or something or perhaps uh when we start building uh, our space fleet uh spacecraft would be a good one for the
0: yeah uss houston on its mission to mars there you go, yeah. great. Yeah. That probably wouldn't be USS though Houston. This
1: is Houston. We have a problem. Now that I like. I like that the idea might get of confusing. Yeah. Houston, <laughs> come back, Houston. Do you respond, <laughs> Houston? <laughs>
2: I think it's also fascinating that that the response to the ship going down and to being lost, really, was so so pronounced and that that texas was such an important part of that that they that they made the city of houston you know a center point for that effort and so i uh, I can't imagine 150 to 200 thousand people in downtown houston during the war you know to uh to observe a a, you know swearing-in ceremony is pretty amazing totally true and they say that they hauled them off, that they, they took them off in trains, and there was, there were trains for several days leaving the Houston train yards to go to the West Coast, to the training facilities. So that's pretty amazing.
1: So what's the takeaway from the loss of the original Houston? I mean, they, they took out some of the transports. They, it was that failed, you know, boondoggle of a, of a mission off the Java coast. Was there anything positive that came out of that other than like the Enlistment stuff. I mean, is there anything of military?
2: Yeah, yes. I mean, the th- any any combat action, any defensive actions are, is important to um, to kind of stopping the effort. But you know, it, it focused the Japanese on on having to to wipe out their you know naval opposition in the in the Indies, and it probably did something to protect in a way to protect Australia right from from attack and invasion. So. Um, it I did the main thing was is it allowed it also allowed some of the kinks to be worked out in inter-service uh, command. And so this was a command that was British, American, and Dutch, and Australian as well. Um and so they had to ex- figure out how to work together and how to work things out together. So they they made lots of horrible mistakes. But ideally, some of those mistakes were worked through and worked out by the time more supplies, more ships more men were in the theater that could then you know, fight back more effectively against the Japanese. They also learned that they could not fight the Japanese at night unless they changed their tactics and they changed their technology. So they had to introduce radar, things like that, which the Japanese didn't have, uh, to counteract the Japanese skill at night fighting. There would still be another bloody year or so before um, we really had the full edge over the Japanese. 19- 1942 wasn't, wasn't a great year. For the allied powers. No,
1: no, it, it was not. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two N's. And I am Scotticus. If you like this show, and you know that you do, get out there and do your duty. Tell your friends, and please leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support this show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.